Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If you've been following the podcast for a while, you know that just recently, Beth Forbes and I started sharing some of our episodes with each other. Beth was a guest here on episode 62, and she's the founder and podcast host of Sarah's Laughter, which is a faith-based organization for those walking through infertility, miscarriage, and adoption. Tonight, I get to share with you a recording from the Sarah's Laughter podcast. This is Alicia's story. Now, the original is about an hour and a half long, and so for this podcast, I've had to do some trimming, but if you're the one in the midst of infertility and wanting to hear the full story, the link is in the episode notes. One of the reasons I want to share Alicia's story here is that she talks about her experience with Safe Families. Safe Families is a ministry partner of Calvary Max, and we love spreading the word about their incredible movement and really encourage everyone to learn more. So here is the conversation between Beth and Alicia from the Sarah's Laughter podcast as recorded in 2018. Hey, everybody. This is Beth. I'm so glad to have you back on this podcast with us. And uh, you're going to love the story that you have that we have for you today. Most of you already know my guest. Uh, She's become a dear friend to me over the last few years. Our guest today is Alicia Kearns. You may know her better as Waiting for Baby Bird. That's the blog that she writes, and so many people are just so encouraged by this blog that uh, I guarantee you, your life has already been touched by her writing. Well, today you're going to get to sit in on a conversation between Alicia and me. We've become really good friends over the last few years. Alicia came and spoke at the Hope Narrative, which is our infertility support conference that we do every year. And so, Alicia... Thank you for finally sitting down and and <laughs> having this phone call with me so we could share more of your oh, story. Yeah. I can't promise we're going to sound real professional on this one. No. I no. can't promise you that. I can't. I can't. I don't know that I've ever been professional. <laughs> Maybe in an interview for a job. I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't and know. We, and we might forget that we're <laughs> recording and just go off on some tangent because that's just sort of how Alicia and I do. So, um <laughs> I promise you'll love us when this one's over. But Alicia, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm so glad to finally get this thing on the on the air. So Alicia, why don't you kind of tell everybody what your story is? You spend so much time pouring into other people and and encouraging them in their story. But why don't you talk a little bit about your story? Uh, you and Dan have been married for about 12 years, although you've known each other since elementary school. <laughs> uh, yeah. Infertility has made a big impact on, on you guys and on your marriage. Why don't you tell everybody what your story is? Goodness, it's like, like you said, we've been married for 12 years. In the first five years that we were married, um, we were trying but not trying. And a lot of people know exactly what that means, mm-hmm. meaning we weren't using protection. If it happens, it happens. You know, if not, that's fine, too, because um, we weren't really in a season where it was good, you know, probably to, to have a baby. Um, I Like our first apartment was 475 square feet. And then we moved because we lived in Florida. My husband was going to University of Florida at the time. And but my entire family lives up here in Illinois. And we decided to move back up here to Illinois. 
And um, that's when we started contemplating on starting a family. But um, before that, I kind of noticed as soon as I got off birth control, like within like, I don't know, a day, two hours, whatever it was, I, my body started changing. One afternoon, home from work, um, I worked for the Department of Children and Family Services, but I was home one afternoon and um, Oprah was on TV back when Oprah had her own show. Right. Miss her. Anyway, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Oz, back when he first, before he had his own show, he was like a guest star. And I remember I, I turned it on and he was in the middle of his segment, but he started going through all these symptoms. And then, um, and it was like all these symptoms that I had. And he was talking about women who had polycystic ovarian syndrome. And he started talking about how infertility may also, you know, be a symptom of it and um, not ovulating and reoccurrent miscarriages. And I really honestly was not even concerned about those things. Infertility is not going to happen to me because right. of PCOS, you know, miscarriages mm-hmm. are going to happen to me. Like I can control that. But um, I ended up researching it a little bit and following his advice of just a diet and exercise. I lost all the weight. The symptoms kind of went away. Um, I did eventually end up going to a doctor, an OBGYN. He was like, well, yeah, he's like, it sounds like you do have PCOS. If, you know, it's been five years and you haven't been using protection and you don't have a room full of children. You know, it's, you probably do. And so he put me on birth control again, and I don't know why. He said it would to, to rebalance my hormones. That was, his, that was his reasoning. Well, let's go ahead and put you back on birth control because sometimes it will rebalance your hormones. But I ended up, when we moved to Illinois, um, I did start to see another doctor because I didn't like the birth control that that, that, that other doctor had put me on. It, she, she was like, did he ever do any tests? I said, no. She's like, well, let's, let's go and do some tests. And so she did the blood work, and then she sent me um, for an, a, a vaginal ultrasound. And so it was about a week later before I met with my doctor. And I remember I, she, she pulled me into her office, and I'll never forget that. Her office was cozy, had a couch. Mm-hmm. The lighting was low because she just used lamps. And she was, she's a sweet woman. She's actually um, a, a friend of the family. And, uh, and she's like, Alicia. And she, and she held my hand. And that's when I knew things weren't mm-hmm. good. Because up until then, I, did, I mean, I didn't think like, I mean, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't think it was like serious, you really know? Yeah. And she's like, Alicia, yeah. She, and she pulled out the, the images of my ovaries and she started counting. And I think when she got up to like 12 and 13 on one ovary, um, mm. a cyst and stuff, like I, I kind of went into like a blur. And then she pulled out, you know, the next picture and, um, and then she, she looked at me and she put her hand back all over my hand and, and she says, honey, if you weren't wanting to have a family, I would just say that we, we should probably just take those out. Mm. She goes, there's just mm. too many. She goes, the problem is your body, an egg will be, it, it's, they're just not maturing. So there's just like all these immature eggs, just like covering your entire ovary. She goes, so anytime a new one does want to bust through it, it really can't. She's like, there's just, it's just covered. She's like, look at it. And I was looking at it. And then that's when she slid me the pamphlet for the reproductive mm-hmm. infertility specialist. And she goes, I think that, um, that you need just to go across the hall. She's like, you're 27. She's like, it's going to take a long time. If, if any, you know, that for you to get pregnant naturally, she goes, I really think you need to consider this. It's not. Um, we started treatments in, in January and we did timed intercourse several times and it, it didn't work. And then um, they upped my dosage because I did have 
good follicles. Well, not, I don't want to say good follicles, but I had follicles, but they would barely would reach the minimum growth. And so the doctor wanted to up my medicine. And whenever he would up it to like the very next level, it wasn't like he upped it too much, you know, like it was just like the very next level. I created too many, like as in 20. Oh, and you can only have five and under to be able to do like timed intercourse. So I would produce too many. And so he decided that I was a candidate for IVF. And when Daniel and I went into this IVF, we weren't against it like morally or anything like that. We just didn't want to go down that, that path. We wanted to kind of try to keep it as natural with the timed intercourse as possible. And um, so we had always kind of like set that boundary of IVF, we weren't going to do it. But then when we sat down for a new consultation, you know, with the doctor after so many failed cycles of like, Hey, you know, you're producing too many, like, I feel like you should do IVF. But I, but I, like I said, I wanted a baby yesterday. So I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do IVF. And I remember looking over at my husband and of course he looks at me like, whatever you want to do, let's do. Like I said, so we, we jumped feet first into IVF despite I really didn't have peace about it. And I never really expressed that I, I didn't really have peace. I just kind of felt like, oh, it's just me being nervous. I'm just anxious type of a thing about it. But I was also very excited. Um, I didn't know the first thing about IVF. We did get pregnant um, from our first round of IVF. And I was excited. I remember, I remember um, I was sick. I hadn't had my beta yet. I hadn't taken a pregnancy test yet, but I was sick. Like I couldn't even like eat my favorite foods. And it, like I said, it wasn't even time for a beta and I was so sick. And I waited and Daniel was home for lunch and I got the thought, maybe I'm pregnant. Maybe, maybe I'm going to pee on a stick. And uh, I go to the bathroom and I pee. And then like, I didn't even have to wait to see two of the two pink lines. Like they were there. Mm. And I just remember, I just, I put my back up against the bathroom wall and I just slid all the way down and I just cried. Mm. I was just so relieved to be done. It worked just like Mm -hmm. I thought it would. And I really honestly didn't really have too many doubts that it wasn't going to work. Like I said, I think I went into the whole thing so naive, which I guess was a good thing. There's nothing wrong with being hopeful Mm -hmm. and naive about things, you know, Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. So I don't regret that at all. I was just, I was so excited. I was so happy. And I had these student clients and I didn't even tell Daniel. I hit it. I peed on like 50 sticks between then and my beta, um, which was in a few days. And uh, I went for my beta and uh, I left there. And an hour later, um, I remember exactly where I was when the nurse called to tell me that I was pregnant and that my numbers were really, really good. Mm. And, um, and I remember I put my hand on my belly and after I got off the phone, I just, I thanked God. And then I promised, like, we, we call them ducklings, little ducklings, mm. because whenever they implanted them, the doctor said they were already starting to hatch. And so, like, we'd <laughs> always call them, like, little ducklings. And so, like, I put my hand on my belly, and I just, I talked to my little ducklings, and I just told them that I would always protect them, because we transferred two. So I just believed that there was two. And I, I made, like, this big, daddy duty kit that I found on Pinterest. Like I did all my Pinterest ideas. Um, I got some honey buns. I made cute little signs because I ran home and, and uh, I got everything together in like 30 seconds flat. I felt like I did everything really fast and Daniel comes home from work and um, I did the little honey buns where I had them on a plate and I did signs that says there's a bun in the oven, you know, those little cheese tastic. Right. 
pregnancy announcement signs and I put them in the oven but I took out one of the the little grate thingies you know the little Mm -hmm, oven mm -hmm, you put you mm -hmm. know you put your piece on I don't even know what it's called but I had it I'm standing in the yard with it and Daniel comes home he's like what are you doing with that in your hand and I I started giggling I was like I was cleaning the oven which you should have known there was a red flag there like she doesn't (laughs) clean the oven I mean I clean but I'm not gonna clean the oven (laughs) And, um, <laughs> I was like, I was cleaning the oven and I can't, I can't get this back in. I was like, I need you to do it for me. But that, that is legit. I can never get those things back in the same way that I pull them out. So that is legit. So he's like, give it to me, you know, and he opens and I have it on camera and I have pictures on my blog, um, of whenever he opened it and he saw the little honey buns and I had little ducklings that I bought those little rubber duck duckies that you play with in the bathtub. I mean, you don't play with them, I hope, in the bathtub. Uh, no. But um, <laughs> kids do. So that's, that's how I told him that I was pregnant. And uh, we sat and we talked all night about potential baby names and, you know, all that stuff that you do. But it wasn't too long after that, after um, two more blood tests, that my numbers weren't progressing. Hmm. And so I remember that, that phone call just as vividly as I remember the first one. Hmm. I remember where I was. I remember the weather. I could tell you exactly what I was wearing. Um, we were crossing over a bridge coming back from Evansville, Indiana. That's where my doctor's office was. And she called and I could immediately tell in her voice that something wasn't right. And she let me know that my numbers had dropped mm. and that um, it probably we, I was probably going to miscarry. It wasn't going to be um, a sustainable pregnancy. But, to, you know, keep coming in for yeah. beta health, you know, where you have to keep going in until the numbers fall. But, um, right. I mean, I will never forget that day. I We went home because Daniel was with me and we crawled into bed and I, I took a nap and I remember when I woke up. You know how it is whenever something bad happens and you go to sleep and you wake up and for that first, like, two seconds, mm-hmm. everything feels normal. Mm-hmm. And so you remember, it's not normal. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry y'all went through this, Alicia. This all happened before you and I met and got to be friends. But I just, I wish that, right now I wish I could just jump over to Carmine just, and just hug you. Because no matter that it's been a while, the, the, the hurt is just as fresh to you as it was the day it happened. And that's just, it's just the love that God gave a mother for her child. You know, and... um and it's not like I think about it every day. It's just like sure. whenever you go back and you revisit those emotions, like, sure. and I'm glad that I still have them. Like Absolutely. I don't, because I, it, it's part of who I am, sure. you know, like, if, so it's like, people are like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. Like whenever I talk about it, I start crying. I'm like, no, it's okay. Because yeah. honestly, it's part of the healing process. Every time mm-hmm. I tell my story, yes, I cry as if it was the day it happened. And it, it happened in 2012. And here mm-hmm. I am crying so hard like it happened yesterday but mm-hmm. it's part of the healing process sure. you know and it's, it's just it's just part of it mm-hmm. and it's okay it's okay to still be crying about it five six ten twelve fifteen years Absolutely. you know it's okay and I remember like after that the nurse had had called and you know I wanted to talk about my next steps and everything but um it was just really it was one of those things where I, while I was going through IVF, because I did get ovarian hyperstimulation, where I gained 
nine and a half pounds of fluid in like less than 24 hours after egg retrieval. I remember during, it was so painful. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And uh, I remember saying, I am never doing this again. But funny how those, I'm never going to Mm -hmm. do this again changes the second something like this happens. And my first thought is, when am I going to be able to do this again? Like I need, but um, it was the whole process was hard. Like I remember, like my parents knew we were doing IVF, but I really didn't tell anybody when we were doing it or um, when the results would be because I wanted some sort of element of surprise and they didn't understand how the whole process worked. So they had mm-hmm. no idea, mm-hmm. you know, that I would be knowing. But um, so I hadn't even told my parents yet that I was pregnant. You'd think that after so many years of infertility that you would have like an idea of how you're going to tell your family that you're pregnant. Right. <laughs> I didn't. So that's the reason why I hadn't told them yet. Cause I was trying to like gather up all the perfect ideas and plan the best surprise, you know, and everything. Um, so it was really hard to have to call my mom and tell my mom I was pregnant and miscarried mm. in the same sentence. I felt like I blindsided her mm. in a lot of ways. That's the reason why I always kind of advocate for women. If you're pregnant, tell your family members. It's still a life mm-hmm. to be celebrated in that moment. It wasn't that I didn't want to celebrate it. I just didn't. I just wanted to have that picture perfect moment, you know. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I blindsided my mom because as soon as I told her that I was pregnant, miscarrying that week that I was waiting, you know, on my beta, my mom knew that I was refinishing a dresser, fading it down and, and painting it because I was trying to keep myself busy. And I didn't overdo it, but um, the first thing my mom said was, do you think that maybe you overdid it? And she immediately knew as soon as she said it, that those were not the right words to say. Right. And I didn't even take offense to it. You know, I was like, no, mom, no, like that's a, like it wasn't a cause mm-hmm. for the miscarriage. Like there's nothing I could have done. Right. And I knew that then, you know, and, and my mom was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it like that. But I, and honestly, in her defense, I caught her off guard. Sure. She didn't know anything about anything, you know, so I always tell people also extend grace to those people who say things to you that are unintentional. And even if they are intentional, still extend grace. You just have to. Otherwise, you're going to let it stew and fester. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I never let my mom's comment bother me. Um, and occasionally I'll think of it only because that was the last time that I've been knocked up and when the doctor did it. And so Satan will sometimes whisper to me to those lies. Maybe you did overdid it. Maybe that was the only time that you were going to get pregnant. Mm. But those are lies. Those mm-hmm, are lies. Mm-hmm. If, if, if the enemy comes at you after you've had a miscarriage and you haven't been able to get pregnant again, maybe you didn't. Maybe you, you would have done this or you would have done that. Don't listen to them. Don't, don't listen to those lies. You have to intentionally fight those lies, too. Exactly, exactly. You can't take a lackadaisical attitude about it. You have to intentionally fight it when Satan comes against you with these thoughts. Because his entire entire purpose is to destroy you, and and he will work hard at doing it. And he knows these these sensitive areas. Absolutely, absolutely. And really, like we honestly, for me, I know it is for me, I destroy myself. All he Mm. does is he plants like a little thought. I'm the one that sits there and chews on it. Mm. I, I think I read a quote. I think it was Martin Luther King that said that you can't control the birds that fly in the air, but you can control the ones that make a nest in your hair. You can't always control the thoughts that come to your mind, but you can control the ones that you're going to sit there and you're going to feed, you're going to think about, you're going to agree with. And you can't, it it takes a conscious effort. I think 
we just become a culture and, and, and in general that just, we don't want to take responsibility or we don't have to want to work. You have to work to not mm-hmm. believe the lies and the thoughts that mm-hmm. come into your mind. Mm-hmm. You have to legitimately turn and start thinking and speaking other things. And sometimes it's just, honestly, sometimes it's just easier to believe the lie. Yeah, you're right. Because we're human. Because we're human. And it's just easier to, to believe it. But you have to fight. And it's so much better when you do fight. You know, you have to resist the devil and he'll flee. Right. A lot of times we're not resisting his thoughts. And so he's not going to flee. Right. You know, we kind of invite him in. Be like, right. hey, you want to come right. sit down and eat dinner with me? <laughs> so, but um, that was maybe a little rabbit trail, side trail. But um, my story goes on that, like I said, I wanted like, I will never do this again to when the nurse called to ask me what we're going to do again. I'm like, well, when can I come in again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, mind you, we did not have any frozen embryos. I had 27 eggs. Wow. And um, they weren't the, you know, but they weren't that great. Um, I didn't really have good quality eggs. A lot of those old eggs that I told you about that were on my mm-hmm. ovaries, mm-hmm. those matured. But because they were old eggs that had matured, they weren't very good quality because I only mm-hmm. had, like, I mean, my numbers dropped mm-hmm. <laughs> between the time of retrieval to day five when transfer. And I only actually had two. And I don't even remember what grade they were. Like I said, I was naive and oblivious. I don't even know what grade they were. Um, and I couldn't go back and look at my papers because after my miscarriage, I threw everything away. I threw everything away. I, I didn't want to remember it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I had pictures of them. I threw them away. I regret mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Don't throw it away. Yeah. Um, just hold on to it. Don't do anything out of, out of like, don't do anything out of emotion, fear, mm-hmm. anger, disappointment, sadness. Just don't do anything at all. But, um, but like I said, we didn't have any frozen embryos. I'm like, that was, that was the one thing I remember sitting there before mm-hmm. I went in for the transfer, when they told me that I only had two to transfer and I have none left. I thought, Oh, good Lord, this is perfect. This is exactly what I prayed for, mm-hmm. that I would have two to transfer and none frozen. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, like I said, I thought everything was perfect. It was working perfectly, but the nurse had called and, and, um, she told me that, um, I could, we could do another round as soon as I was ready. And, um, I had to, of course, wait for the miscarriage and everything to happen. And that is, that was a slow process and a hard process. I mean, I wasn't very far along, but it doesn't matter. But I do remember whenever it did finally pass, you know, and it was very hard to stand up and look at that. Mm -hmm. But I really, honestly, whenever it came down to doing IVF again, I I said, I wanted to do it again. And I was also scared and. I remember we were driving home from church not too long after that. And I was staring out of the window and I was crying, but not sobbing, you know, to the point where I'm making a scene for my husband and then like freak out, freak out in the sense of, Oh no, she's crying. What do I do? What do I say? You know, like husbands get all like sweaty and nervous. And whenever the wives start crying. So I was trying to be quiet about it. And, um, uh, it was just a few days after the actual miscarriage and everything. And, um, I was praying, but not praying. Does that make sense? Like I was thinking, like mm-hmm. a lot of times we call it prayer when we're thinking or worrying about a problem. It's not mm-hmm. really a prayer. Um, but I like to call it I was praying. Um, but I really wasn't. But um, I do remember thinking, what are we going to do next? And I do remember even saying, God, what are, like, what? You know, because I really honestly didn't have peace about doing IVF again. I didn't have peace the first time. And come to find out, like after all this is all said and done, after talking to my husband, he didn't have peace either. Hmm. But he was just wanting to do what I wanted to do. He thought that I had prayed about it. 
I had peace about it. So let's just do it. That's what she wants. Um, so husbands, if you're listening and you have a concern, don't be scared to voice it. Absolutely. Even if your wife is not on the same page, even if she's not on the same page and she definitely does want to do it still as a spiritual leader in your household, voice, voice your opinion, voice your concern. Um, I wish that he would have. Um, I don't, I don't hold it against him that he didn't because honestly, if he would have said, let's not do this, I probably would have said, no, we're still doing this because that's just would have been me, my stubbornness, <laughs> even if I didn't have peace about it. Um, but come to find out he didn't have peace, but we're driving home back to that story. We're driving home and I'm asking God what next. And I, like I said before, I really didn't have, I, I've been to church my whole life, um, but I really didn't have like a great, I didn't have a relationship. I had a religion is what I had. I didn't have a great relationship. I prayed to God in 911 emergency situations. Um, I did a devotional in the morning if uh, Good Morning America wasn't that great or if I didn't already have plans already, like mm-hmm. maybe I'd squeeze it in, um, maybe not. So but I'm, so I say that to say that whenever I was like, God, what do you want to do next? I remember him saying um, to, to not do treatments. And I was like, like I had that thought, like don't do treatments. And I was like, oh, don't do treatments. You know what I mean? Like, even if I didn't have peace about it, I still wanted to do it. Like, mm-hmm. my flesh still mm-hmm. wanted to do it. Even though I didn't have peace. So to hear, don't do treatments. And then I heard, um, you're going to have a son. Um, and, like, it wasn't like an audible voice. I don't even know how to explain it. People ask me. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just, like, this something that just, like, you hear in your spirit. I don't know. And uh, you're going to have a son. And then I heard him say, you're going to name him Josiah. Hmm. And I thought, I have lost my mind. I have lost my <laughs> mind, people. Like, I look over at Daniel thinking, because I don't even know anybody named Josiah. So I don't know where it came from. Um, it wasn't in the top thousand of the names to name my kids. Um, was not <laughs> Josiah. Uh, I had already had my names picked out. And I thought, oh, my word. And so I thought in my head, okay, I'm going to go home because this is before I had a smartphone. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to Google the name Josiah. And if it means like Bigfoot or keeper of the home or something absolutely ridiculous, I'm just going to chalk this up as I didn't really hear from God. Like, I don't even know where this name came from, but I wasn't going to tell Daniel yet because I didn't need him to hop on my crazy train if we were going to be getting off the crazy train soon. You know, like I didn't want to like, like totally like, so we get home we and the first things that pop up is uh, Jehovah healed. And I knew immediately, like, then God began speaking again, like, I want to heal you. Mm. Like, I have so much more for you than just giving you a baby. Because he knew that I couldn't stand the symptoms. He knew that I couldn't stand everything else. He's like, I want to do abundantly above all you could ask, dream of, or begin. You're asking me for a baby, but I want to give you more. It's like whenever, like, you're planting something, and I, and I want, like, I've, I've used the example before, like, I, I want, like, a BLT sandwich. And I asked my dad for a tomato and he hands me tomato seeds. I don't want to think of tomato seeds. I asked for a tomato and it's like our father was like, yeah, but if I give you the seeds, you can make all kinds of tomatoes. You can have so much more. You can have all the tomatoes you want. And he began speaking to me. He's like, if you, you know, seek me, like, I, I want to, I want to heal you. Cause that was like foreign to me. Like God healing. Like, yeah, I mean, I know he can, but like to request it, like I figured it was just something that happens. It happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. he's like, I want, he began speaking to me more about healing. He's like, I want to heal you. 
He's like, I want to heal you so that you can have all the babies that you want to have. And you don't have to keep going after doctor, after treatments, after failed cycles, after all this stuff. And so he really began speaking to me in that moment. There as as somebody who really never even really heard from God, he just began downloading stuff into me. But um, a few days later, like two days after that, I had what they called the what the F appointment. <laughs> you know, like what went right. wrong? Where you right. meet with the doctor? I think that's what they, I didn't know that's what it was called at the time until I started reading blogs. I'm like, oh, that makes, that's a good, that's a good name for that appointment. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> so like, but I have that appointment set up two days after I hear, you know, the God says, don't do treatment. You're going to have a son named Josiah. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to get pregnant like tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. have anything to worry about. So I went ahead and went to the appointment just, you know, to go to the appointment. I had made it, you know, and I went in there so confident, you know, and I'm sitting there and the doctor comes in. He has my file and he starts talking about how um, it's a lot worse than he thought because mm. he really never knew, like, the quality of my eggs before until now he's looking at the rate of, you know, how many died off so fast and and all that other stuff. He just starts talking about how, um, at the time I was 27, he's like, I've just never really seen somebody have such old eggs. Like he's like, you're the quality of your eggs are that of a 60 year old woman. And I remember looking at him going, and I even said out loud, so they've applied for their AARP card. He goes, Oh yes. (laughs) Yes. He goes, if you want to make a joke about this, he goes, yes. He goes, because before I, I can't remember the percentage that he gave me before um, getting pregnant with IVF, but he goes, I'm going to have to drop that down to less than 3%. He goes, you oh have less than 3% of getting pregnant naturally and less than that of carrying to full term. He goes, and I don't, he, he's, he's like, so, you know, if you do IVF again, we're going to have to do PGS testing. And he starts talking about all these statistics. And I just remember like he, he turned into like Charlie Brown's like womp, 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 womp. Like I couldn't even hear him anymore because then I started having this conversation with God. I'm like, God, you told me not to do treatment. And here this man is telling me that the only way that I pretty much can have a child is through treatment. What's going on? Like, like I, I started arguing with him and, and kind of getting mad in my, my, in my head. I don't even know what my facial expression to the doctor looked like. Cause he's probably thinking, Oh great. She's mad at me, but I really wasn't even talking to him. I was talking in my head, you know, in, to God. And I, I don't know. I, at the time I like probably knew two scriptures, you know, God's love of the world gave his only begotten son, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I knew the story of Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. And those are the only two things I had. And I, the story of Abraham and Sarah came to my mind. And I, and I remember in Romans where, where um, Abraham did not consider his own body. Mm-hmm. Like he knew his body was as good as dead. He didn't consider his ability. He considered God and, and God's abilities. And I remember thinking, you know what? It's not about what my body can do. It's not about my abilities. It doesn't matter what the doctors say. It doesn't matter what I, this is what God has said. Nothing is impossible with him. I know what he's spoken to me. I know that, that, that he desires to have people healed. So, and I remember I, I sat up straight in my chair because I, I had a whole different demeanor at that point, you know, and the doctor's like, and then I remember I came back too, and he wanted to ask about my next appointment. And I, I just smiled. I didn't tell him I was on a crazy train and God told me I was going to have a son, <laughs> but I just smiled. And I shook his hand and I said, you know, I said, right now, I don't think that we're going to do any treatment. And in my mind, I thought I'm going to be bought back in here because he's basically convinced me I'm not going to have a kid of my own naturally. Um, I'm going to be bought back in here in like two months with an ultrasound picture and I'm going to prove him wrong. Hmm. And that was in 2012. And I have yet to be bought back in there. He's not even at that office anymore with my ultrasound picture. Um, because I thought God spoke it. It's going to happen like tomorrow. 
Um, and I think that's something that we also don't understand that sometimes God speaks things to our hearts or we're reading something in his word and it becomes like a rhema word to us and we, and we, and we claim it. And then we expect it's going to come to pass like now. Right. And I imagine that's probably what happened to Abraham and Sarah when God promised Abraham a, a son. He probably, he's human. He probably thought the same thing. It, and Sarah probably thought the same. Obviously, Sarah did too. Because right. when it didn't happen in her time frame, she took matters into her own hands. God promised that she believed that God was going to give her a son, but it wasn't happening in the time frame she thought. So she was like, well, maybe I need to do something else. Maybe. And so I think that sometimes if God spoke something very specific, like with me right now, don't do treatments. And, it's, and, and I want to also point out to, to the listeners, because I get these emails a lot. Well, you know, they're kind of rude, but it does not mean that every single day I don't go before the Lord. Maybe not every day, but at least a weekly basis. Okay, God, I know you told me no treatments before. What do you think now? I think that's also very important. Whenever God speaks something to you, it may just be for a season. Mm-hmm. Or if he closes the door to adoption for a season, that does not mean keep going before him. Be like, God, now do you want me to maybe pursue adoption? And see, and, and if you don't hear anything, then then still, then go with the first thing he told you. I, I, I get that all the time. Like, well, I'm not hearing anything. Go with the first thing he told you. Keep doing that first thing that he told you. Sometimes when I pray that prayer, I don't feel anything. I don't hear anything. I don't get a sense of anything. I have to go back to, okay, well, I know, I know what he said the first time. So I'm at least going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep following him in that direction. Um, so that's, that's definitely advice that I like to give people. Is just mm-hmm. Go with good. the first thing and also continually go before him and ask him, do you want to change things up? Because maybe it was for just this season. So for those people listening, yes. I don't just automatically write off treatments. Like I'm never doing them again. Daniel and I, we, we, we talk about them often and we both pray about it and then we'll come together. I'm like, you know what? I, I don't feel like I want to, or I need to. And he's like, you know what? I didn't get anything either. Okay. Let's just continue the course. So mm-hmm. um, I will say that a year, about a year after um, I heard the word from the Lord, you know, to not do treatments and Jehovah healed and all that other stuff. Um, like I said, I thought I was going to be pregnant like the next day and I wasn't. So after a year goes by, I, I was I was angry at God. And I told him I was I remember I was driving um on my way to church on a Friday night. They call it chick night where all the ladies get together and they have a dinner and like a speaker and stuff. And I was crying. It was raining. And I was crying all the way there. I was like, God, I was like, you speaking to me has held me on for a year, like hopeful, you know, um, I was like, but I, I, I can't hold on to that anymore because maybe I made it up. You know, maybe, maybe there is no sun. Maybe it was just, I ate bad pizza the night before. Like, like I, I, I need like a billboard because I told him, I was like, I need a sign that, that this is true, that I'm going to have a son and I'm going to name him Josiah. Like, I need something concrete. I was like, I don't need a song to come on the radio. I got really bossy with God. I don't recommend it. But sometimes <laughs> I, do. I was like, I don't need a song to come on the radio. Cause you know, sometimes like a sign, right. like a song. I was like, I've had enough songs. I was like, I don't need somebody to, to drop me a scripture. Cause they ain't working either. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm just being real with you. Like I don't need a song. I don't need a scripture. I need like a billboard, a burning bush, something that comes flaming out saying, Alicia, you're going to have a son named, I, I need a dog to talk to me. <laughs> like I need something serious. And um, so I, I go to church and um, it, I, this is before I had my blog. Nobody really knew of anything. Nobody, no, no, like I said, nobody knew of anything. And it was a church that I just started attending. And the one girl that I knew, she sat on the front row. And I'm like, why do we have to sit on the front row? <laughs> so we sit on the front row and um, the lady is speaking. I don't even know what she talked about. 
but I was, I remember I was hanging on to like every word at the time, trying to look for a sign, you know, like for her to like blurt out something random. Alicia, who, there's, there's an Alicia in the room, you know, like struggling <laughs> with infertility. You're going to have a kid. Like I was looking for anything. I didn't get anything. And this lady that I don't even know, she comes up and she, she like I said, I'm on the front row. So it's close to the ministry team. And she comes up and she puts her hand on my belly and she starts praying for me. Mm-hmm. And my eyes immediately pop open because I'm like, who is touching me? You know, and then I'm like, okay, she's touching me. She's praying for me. Don't smack her. And so um, she's praying and she starts praying for the desires of my heart to be met. And um, I'm like, oh, I was like, this is good. I was like, maybe this is my sign. This is my sign, you know. And I start crying. And the next thing I know, she stops in mid sentence about praying for the desires of my heart and, and, and just praying for me in general. She opens up her eyes and she, she blurts out, God said you're going to have a son. And then she covers her mouth like, oops, I said too much. <laughs> like, like it was almost like she couldn't, like it just came out and she couldn't control it. And I opened up my eyes and I started sobbing and she goes, I am so sorry. She goes, I don't know you. I don't know. And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, it's perfect. I was like, you're my sign. Like this woman didn't know me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a blog. Nobody knew about Josiah. The only people who knew about Josiah was Daniel, my mom and my cat. Like those are the only three people that I led on the crazy train. And so for her to blurt out, you're going to have a son. Like, so to me, that was confirmation. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've held on to. Sometimes you have to, whenever you start to lose hope, you have to go back and you have to hold on to the things that God spoke to you along the way. Absolutely. Otherwise you're going to, to falter. Um, and I, and I always also encourage women, don't be scared to ask God for a sign. Mm-hmm. David did in the book of Psalms, even don't be afraid to be like, God, I I need to see your goodness. I need a refresher. I need something. He don't don't be scared to ask because he'll send encouragement along the way for you. And he knows exactly what you're going to need at the right time. So um, don't ever be afraid to ask for be like, God, I'm not doing good. I'm not believing you anymore. And I need to see a sign of your goodness. I need to see a sign that you're still with me. I need to, to, to see you in a tangible way. I need you to send somebody to speak to me. Um, and don't be afraid to be specific about it either, because I think that God likes specific prayers mm-hmm. because then whenever it's answered, we know, you know, it's from him. And yeah, you know, you know, so, and, and, and he, and he likes to show off like that. He's like, yeah, see, you asked for something specific and, and here I am. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to do it, you know, you know, this kind of so, makes uh, me, this kind of makes me think of uh, the conversation we were having before we started the actual podcast. Uh, it gets hard to believe sometimes when our circumstances aren't lining up with what we're trusting God for. That's a hard place to be in, isn't it? Difficult for me to believe in my healing and, and difficult to keep pressing forward and believing in the impossible because people ask me because I don't like public speaking and I don't like writing. And I've, I've asked, I remember I was in a hotel room once before public speaking and I was like, crying because I was so nervous I was like why am I doing this you know like I need to know my why I know what I'm doing (laughs) I need to be reminded of the why and I remember God speaking to me he goes I don't I'm not using you to encourage women in the wait he goes I'm using you to encourage women to continue to believe in the impossible because sometimes when your circumstances are staring down and they're screaming down your throat and and the doctors and the diagnosis and the odds and the statistics, it's it's very easy to let go of that thought that that the impossible is is to, I guess to believe in it, you know. Um, so I, I say all that because I'm in the shower and I'm like, God, it's really hard for me 
to believe, to believe in what your word says, to believe that by your stripes we're healed and to believe that, that you want to give us the desires of our heart. And um, it's just, I was really struggling. I mean, you could almost say I had a crisis of my faith. I mean, I maybe even still do. I, a lot of things I got to work out, but I have to remember um, that I cannot, and I just, I just have to remind myself, I cannot base, my theology of God and I cannot alter God's word based upon my circumstances mm. and it based mm. upon what I see and what I feel because what I feel and what I see does not, will not always line up with the truth of God's word. Our facts will not always line up with the truth. And I have to remember that that like, just because my circumstances didn't go the way that I had hoped or believed they would, that does not change who God is. It right. does not change God's will. It does not change the word of God. Um, we live in a broken and fallen world. He's not broken and he's not fallen. He is right. perfect. And I still have to believe like, okay, yes, but that should not stop me because of what happens to other people. I hear all the time, well, so-and-so didn't get pregnant. And so, you know what? That's so-and-so. I don't know what was in so-and-so's heart. I don't know what so-and-so's situation was. I have to keep just following God's word and, and believing and stay in my own lane. You know, my pastor had said one time, you know, he used the um, example of horses. When they're in a horse race, they wear those blinders. Mm -hmm. so they can't see the other horses racing we have to put blinders on sometimes and just look straight ahead at jesus because if i start to look to the left or to the right and i see other horses slowing down sometimes that will make you want to slow down mm -hmm. well they didn't get it so what's the point of me praying anymore what's the point of me hoping anymore you know um what's the point of me believing in that scripture because that scripture you know it obviously didn't do anything for them you know, um, ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be open to you. Well, I was knocking, I was seeking, and they didn't get anything, you know. And so what's the point of me doing it? We cannot we cannot base our theology of God and his word based upon our circumstances. And I just have to keep reminding myself of that. Uh, our circumstances don't change God's word and what he it. says. They right. shouldn't. And some of, um, it, some of it, I think, just comes down to a matter of blind faith. A decision to yeah. a decision to trust God no matter what, despite our right. circumstances, despite our feelings. I think sometimes it comes down right. to just a decision that you make. I'm going to trust Him despite what I see. I'm going to trust Him despite what I feel. I'm just going to trust right. that God is who He says He is. Yeah, and that's it's a tough place to get to. Right. But I believe sometimes it can be a daily, a daily decision, sometimes a moment-by-moment -moment decision. Right. You know, we just have to trust that that, that God's Word is, is truth. You know, like there was a part of me today that I was, scriptures were coming to my mind, and I'm like, well, it's really hard for me to put a lot of faith into that scripture, put a lot of faith, in, and you're tempted to just kind of throw it to the side. I, I read a, I read a, a story once um, that it was Thomas... Thomas Jefferson, I don't know if you know this, but there's a Jefferson Bible yeah. um, back when he was president of the United States. He, he got off work one day, got off work being president. It was like four <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon. They said it was a winter night. And um, he, he took a razor and he took the Bible and he cut out his favorite stories. And he made his own Jefferson Bible. But the one thing that he left out was anything that, that went against logic or hmm. went against anything that he had experienced. So like Lazarus, the story's in there, but he doesn't get raised from the dead. 
Um, the stories of Jesus feeding the 5,000, those aren't in there. If it went against logic or we couldn't wrap, he couldn't just wrap his mind around it. He didn't put it in the Bible. And like to think like, and sometimes when I go to speaking engagements, like I'll hand somebody a Bible and I'll say, all right, cut it up. And they're like, no, I'm not, I'm not touching. I'm not going to, some people won't even highlight theirs, you know, let alone eat them like scissors and be like, here, I want you to cut stories out or whatever. But we do that in our lives. And I was doing that today in the shower. I was basically cutting out scriptures that, you know what, that, that's not what I experienced. So I'm not going to put hmm. that one in my, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like we do the same thing. Hmm. You know, we, we, we cut it out. Well, that's not for me or that's not for everybody. Or Jesus really didn't mean it when he said that wow. we can do greater works than he. Wow. We can't wrap our mind around that. Wow. You know, um, mm-hmm. we do the same thing. And so God was really speaking to me. He goes, what you speak to those ladies? He goes, you need to start speaking to yourself again. He goes, you need to remind yourself of truth. Quit reminding yourself of the facts. Because we do that. Mm-hmm. We like to dwell on the facts mm-hmm. of our situation mm-hmm. and not on the truth which right. is unchangeable. Right. So that's something that I've been wrestling with today. That's right. free. New information Thank you. for your listeners. Thank you. That um, was free. Um, I did yeah. want to, I do want you to tell a little bit about Josiah Day, because I think that's, that is one way that I believe you keep reminding yourself of truth and not necessarily the facts. Yeah, Josiah Day. Josiah Day started um, one night. I was needing another sign from God. I'm really good at asking for signs. But I asked him for a sign one time before I went to bed. I was like, God, I want you to speak to me in my dreams. Like something so profound, so visual, so something. Like I need some encouragement tonight. It was in July. I remember it. And uh, I went to bed. And I had a dream, actually, that my friend had told me that I needed to have my kidneys checked because they were failing. Mm. <laughs> Remember I woke up and I thought, good Lord, that is not my sign. <laughs> like I said, it's not from you. I rebuke that uh. in Jesus name. And so, but I was kind of aggravated. I was getting ready for church. I'm like, man, I, I didn't get what I needed. And if it's about kidney failure, I'm not listening to that. <laughs> and um, I'm sitting there getting ready for church. And my friend who I barely even know, she, she knew a little bit, you know, about that Josiah, but nothing really major. And, um, she sends me a text message and she's like, Hey, I got your number from so-and-so. Are you going to be um, at a, a birthday party this afternoon? We had a birthday party that afternoon. I was like, yeah, I'll be there. And she's like, great. She goes, I had a dream last night and I want to tell you about it. You would have thought that something within me would have clicked. Oh, she had a dream. She needs to tell me about it. Instead, I'm thinking, I don't care about your dream. I needed a dream. Like, like, okay. So I go to the birthday party and I'm standing there and she's talking to me. She's like, Oh yeah, I need to tell you about my dream. But she says that, that she was having a dream and that they were in the, this big bounce house area and there's a lot of kids and a lot of chatter and a lot of women. She mentioned some names of people that we know. And she says out of nowhere, she was like, it was like somebody came over the, the sound system and said, the 17th is Josiah day. And she's mm-hmm. telling me the story. And like, I start sobbing because she doesn't know something very significant. She said that she woke up because she has a newborn baby at the time and the baby was crying and she fed the baby and she went back to sleep. She goes, she had the same dream word for word, repeatedly the exact same for th- like three times in a row. throughout wow. the night. Every time she woke up, she'd fall back asleep and she had the exact same dream. And she's telling you this, what she doesn't know is that the 17th is already a very significant day for my husband and I. We, um, we started talking on January 17th. We got married on August 17th. Um, actually the day that I found out that I was pregnant the first time was on the 17th. Mm. So the 17th was already something that we had already recognized. 
us, and she didn't even know that. And for her to have this dream that God is saying that the 17th is Josiah Day. So from that point on, I don't know what the 17th will ever transpire. Maybe I'll give birth on the 17th. Maybe I'll find out I'm pregnant again on the 17th. But whatever we do, I always at least recognize that I buy something in faith. I know people shy away from that. Oh, I don't want to jinx God. I don't, I hate to break it to you ladies, but you can't jinx uh -uh. God. Uh Uh-uh. By stepping out in faith right. and buying a onesie, right. you're not going to jinx God by by being pregnant and afraid to buy the crib. You know, like you're you're not going to jinx God. No. If anything, you're going to scare the devil. But that's fine. Step out in faith. But on the 17th of every month, um, I buy something in faith. Or now I buy something on my blog, like I'll buy something and then I'll give it away on the 17th mm. on my Waiting for Baby Bird page. Because I read a quote once that said, prayer is asking for rain. And faith is carrying around an umbrella. And so I always try to buy, I, I, I call them my umbrella gifts. Hmm. And that's then like, great. I'll buy something for somebody and I'll give it away. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. But I love how you yeah. do Josiah Day. And I'll see the 17th pop up on my calendar. I'm like, oh, it's Josiah Day. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a great thing that you do. Um, now, I, I do want to throw one more thing in before we kind of wrap up our podcast. Because you and I can sit here and talk all day long. And take up like a month of podcast. Yes. But you you do have a child now. You want to share yeah, uh, real quick? Do you want to share how 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 your story took this turn? Yeah. So I <laughs> I do have a little girl. Um, she is now seven. Um, her name is Michaela, and she is full of sass. Um, we got her when she was three, so we've had her for for quite a while, and it's very. It's um, very interesting, my story, because I get a lot of emails from women. How did you know you wanted to do foster care? I'm so scared to jump out into it. Or what's the process? And I always kind of giggle because our journey through foster care and adoption was very unexpected. Um, I'm not a risk taker. That's something that, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't ride roller coasters. I don't go above the second step of a ladder. I'm holding your fanny packs. If you're on a ride, I'll be down below waving at you. So Foster care was definitely a risk, and it was a risk that I was not willing to take. I used to work for Department of Children and Family Services, and I would come home every night at like 9, 9.30 at night because it worked long hours. If you know a social worker, give her a hug. Um, and I would always say I never will never be a foster parent. I would tell my husband that because they, they deal with so much stress, and they deal with so much worry, and you got caseworkers coming in and out of their home, and I'm just like, I could never do that. We'll never say never <laughs> because my husband and I, we actually signed up for a program here in my small town called Safe Families for Children. And that was safe for me. First of all, it has the word safe in it. And I'm like, this is a safe <laughs> program because the program, I loved it because it started out in Chicago and it's not in every state and it's not in every county. Um, but I love the idea. I read about it in our paper, in our local paper, because the idea was there's a lot of families, a lot of single moms and single dads and even couples together. Um, they're just going through a lot. They're just going through a hard time. Maybe they lost a job or they really are struggling um, with, with keeping a job or keeping a house. And what they can do is they can call, they call like the nonprofit organization that has the safe families that runs it. And they can say, Hey, I'm struggling. Do you have a host family that my child could stay with temporarily? It's like two weeks, two days. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of women that would call that are going through chemo and they're just not able to keep up with their kids. Um, and it's mainly for people who don't really have a lot of family support or family friends. And so this is a way that they can keep their kids safe and keep them out of the system. Um, while also it's like co-parenting. That's a good example of it because it's all voluntary. We were volunteer host parents. My husband and I, we signed up for it. 
and we would keep kids for two weeks. Their parents would like meet me at McDonald's. We would have supper together. They'd get to spend time with them. They could take them. Like I said, it was all voluntary. It was just a temporal contract. They could sign their kids up for safe families and five minutes later walk out of the door and realize, you know what, this is too much for me. I need my baby back. And they could say, never mind, I'll do something else. You know, it was like I said, it was one of those kind of things. Well, we had seven kids coming in and out of our home in two years. Mm, and Michaela wow. was our seventh child. And actually the last child that we were ever going to do, we were not going to do the program anymore. Um, I'm kind of just, just done with it. Not because it, and it, you know, honestly, it wasn't hard because people were like, oh, I couldn't keep a kid for two weeks and some of that. Yes, you can, because you're going into it with a mindset of reunification with this family. Cause that's the only goal is reunification. It's not like courts involved and there's a chance, you know, supposedly for reunification or, you know, adoption or anything mm-hmm. like that, but you're going into it. You're, it's, it's a Christ centered organization. So basically you're just wanting to like help that parent out, show them the love of Christ mm-hmm. by being like, Hey, you don't have family to help you out and babysit or take care of while you're struggling, let us do it. Mm-hmm. And you know, like we didn't get paid for it. Um, so it wasn't like I wanted to quit because it was just too emotionally hard. I was just done with the program. I thought my season had ended. And so I randomly one night um, checked an email that I never checked ever. And there was an email for um, from the coordinator saying that um, it was like a two day old email even about this um, family of three kids. And he had a home for the boy and the sister, but not the youngest one, which was Michaela. Um, because uh, there wasn't a family to keep all three. That's a story for another day. Um, and so I was like, huh. So I went ahead and emailed him because I thought, because they have a description of all the kids. And Michaela was like the angel of them all. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's weird that they couldn't find one. Like you would think that they'd want, like somebody would have snatched at the three-year-old already, you know, mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm-hmm. I email him. I'm like, I'm sure you've already found a home for the three-year-old. And they live in a different county even. And the other two, the oldest ones, they had to stay in that county. So that's the reason why they found homes in that one. But the mom was okay with the youngest going to a different county because she wasn't in school and we would work out visitation and all that other stuff. He said he still didn't have a home for the three-year-old. And it was only going to be temporary for like maybe two, three weeks. And I'm like, well, I can do two, three weeks. <laughs> so I asked Daniel about it. And he's like, eh, okay, but, you know, this is our last one. <laughs> oh, well, it's she has been your last she one. Be for, <laughs> she sure has. So it was in January. It was January 10th, 2014. And like I said, we signed the contract for two weeks. And it's 2018, and she now has my last name. Right. Um, and it was it, it was a wild ride. Um, whenever the children were supposed to be returned home, um, just things weren't working out with mom. She was still struggling. And so uh, we couldn't keep the kids forever in this kind of a situation, you know. Like So we had to kind of contact the state to get the state involved, you know. And so it just transpired into we went to court and um, the judge ordered the children to then be court ordered out of home. Because at that time, it was just moms voluntarily like, yes, keep my kids. Well, now it was the court saying, no, you don't have that right anymore to say that the kids stay out of your home. Like we're now doing that. That way she couldn't like take them back when she wanted to. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we had to become licensed foster parents if we wanted to keep her. And at that point, she had already been living with us for eight months. And so, of course, um, we did it. We became licensed foster parents, but just for her, mm-hmm. mom signed us over as godparents. Because in the state of Illinois, um, if you're if if you're a godparent, it's like being blood relative, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we really didn't have to go through all the hoops of that way she could stay with us starting that night. Because oh, if we okay. had to be licensed, she would have had to go to another home that was licensed before she came back. Oh, okay. So technically, we became relative foster care parents. So, um, 
that's and we ended up um, adopting her. Uh, mom surrendered her rights because she just decided that uh, we we made this agreement. We I mean I had a good relationship with her through safe families of trying to help mm-hmm. her get on her feet, then through trying to encourage her through her case plan. Um, it's just a lot for somebody in that situation to deal with. If all they've known is drugs and alcohol and bad friends, and they don't have anybody speaking truth mm-hmm. and life into their mm-hmm. life, it's really hard for them to find a job and get a car and get a house. Sure. And um, it was just so it was one of those things where she says, you know what, I see that and all the other kids that are because her brother and sister live in, in separate homes. Um, that's for private reasons. But um, she's like, I see that they're happy where they are. And she um, asked me, she goes, it was one of those things, like, if you do this, I'll do that. She goes, I'm going to sign over surrenders. And she goes, you don't have to. She goes, and I'm asking, can we keep in contact? Oh. Um, can we, she goes, I don't have to see, but I just have to know that she's okay. Do you care to send me pictures, um, to send me letters or whatever? And I'm like, of course, of course. God mm-hmm. loves reunification. Mm-hmm. God loves to keep families together. And that's what I wholly believe in. Like, when, if you become a foster parent, you need to go in with that mindset of, of God wants to keep things together. Like it was really difficult for me, for me personally, when people would come to me and say, Oh, I really hope you get to keep her. And I knew what they were saying, but I also knew that if I got to keep her, that's because mom was still living the life that Jesus didn't die to give her. Mm. Like she was still in drugs. She was like, if I got to keep her, I knew it was only because of those reasons. And so it was really hard for me to come to grips with that. But since we've adopted her, she does. Um, her and her mom write letters back and forth. It's really cute. They also have a coloring book mm-hmm. that her mom mailed her once. And her mom had colored the first page. So Michaela thought it'd be cute that she colored the second page. And we mailed the, the coloring I book back. That. And her mom colored the third page love and it. mailed it back. Um, you know, And I don't feel threatened at all. I do not feel threatened at all because I, I went into it with this. I want to keep that relationship open and, and as healthy as possible. Can yeah. you do that with every family that you foster? No. But I think that the reason why I'm able to do it is because I, I, I worked really hard to get that relationship. Mm. Does that make sense? Like I yeah. extended myself out whenever I was uncomfortable and I didn't want to talk to mom and I didn't want to talk to grandma. And I, you know, she's so undeserving. She doesn't No, I had to really work through my feelings and when she didn't want to talk to me, I still extended and talked to her. Whenever I knew she was upset with me, I still mailed her pictures. Mm. I still mailed her letters. So it took work and effort on my part. But now to see our relationship and to see, like, Michaela knows she, like, she has two families. And mm. she's, she loves it. It's, it's good for her, you know. But um, she's a blessing. She was in foster care for 1,273 days. Wow. Well, boy, Alicia, the, the journey to, to, to your family has certainly not been what you thought it would be, but my goodness, God sure has done a lot with your family and with a lot with your journey and your journey's not, your journey's not over yet. And so, uh, no, it's not. God sure has used it. He sure does use it. And I know he uses it in powerful ways. I've seen, uh, the impact on people that I've known personally, um, I enjoy watching God use you, you know, and seeing how um, he has blessed your writings that you say you don't, you don't like to write. And then I enjoy watching you speak when you say you don't like to speak. Uh, Thank you so much for coming in and doing the podcast with us. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, If you have never read Alicia's blog, you need to do that. Alicia, why don't you tell them how to find you? 
Oh, you can find me at waitingforbabybird.com. Just like that, waitingforbabybird.com. Or um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, you just type in, I guess, a little search bar or something for Waiting for Baby Bird. I do post daily encouragement, um, uh, prayers. And I am also on Instagram at waiting for baby bird, but I will go ahead and give you a disclaimer. I'm really bad at taking pictures and coming up with a really like classy <laughs> <laughs> caption. So I'm not very, um, I'm not on Instagram as often as I am on Facebook. So, so you that's find how you can find me. Well, Alicia, I always like to close out our podcast by praying over folks, folks who are, uh, yeah. who relate to your story. You know, uh, people who have heard your story and their heads are nodding. They're like, I get that. I understand that. Um, So how about you praying over our folks today? Sure. Oh, Papa God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to, um, to speak to those who are listening. Lord God, I just pray that my words ignite hope where the flame is not even flickering, Father. I just pray, Lord God, that it increases their faith or it makes them just not feel alone Um, because a lot of times we can feel alone. I pray, Lord God, that it just provides comfort to those who have been dealing with um, a miscarriage and blaming themselves, Lord, blaming their bodies, Lord God. I just pray that they see themselves in a different light. I pray, Lord God, that they see you in a different light. And um And they they believe in the impossible, that no matter what their circumstances are saying, no matter what their feelings are saying, Lord God, that they don't stop short of all that you have for them based upon what they hear, what they see, what they feel, and that they only look to you. Um, I just pray, Lord God, that you just guide and direct their steps and that um, I really feel strongly to also pray over their minds. There's somebody listening to this right now and is struggling so bad with anxiety and fear and worry that they're not going to hear those those pitter-patter sounds come down the hallway, Lord God. And I just ask that you just wrap your peace around their anxious mind right now, Lord God, and you begin to whisper truth that trumps their facts right now. And that the scenarios that they're playing, Lord God, that you just stop them dead in their tracks right now and you, and you, and you just remove those scenarios and instead you replace it with, with pictures of, of, of a nursery and, and a baby crying at 3 a.m. for a feeding, Lord God, and you just give them swollen ankles. <laughs> give, them, give them a picture of swollen ankles that, that, that the desires that you have planted in the soft, fertile soil of their heart that you intend to have one day grow in their arms, Lord God. I don't know how it's going to happen or when it is, Lord, only you do. And I just pray, Lord God, that you just give them a sign. And that you just give them a tangible reminder that you are with them and that you're holding them and that you are carrying them. This is in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Ladies, I hope you were blessed and encouraged by Alicia's story. Again, I want to remind you that if you are the one in the middle of infertility or miscarriage or adoption, to please check out the Sarah's Laughter podcast because you can hear stories from so many women who are walking through that same journey. No matter what your story is, we want to remind you that you are not alone. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you join us next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.